Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Addiction Talk. We are so excited that you are joining us tonight because we want to continue the conversation about addiction. But in particular, we want to talk about addiction in communities of color. It's something that we often don't talk about, but with it being Black History Month, we knew that we needed to have this conversation and that we needed to bring in somebody who was dealing with this firsthand because we believe as we begin to talk about this, we begin to end the stigma surrounding addiction and that hopefully from our broadcast here tonight that someone will seek help someone will know that there is a path to recovery and that they will find inspiration to move forward in their lives. So we are excited tonight that you have joined us because we have a powerful conversation in store for you. And joining me now is someone who has a story that you have to hear. It is Kirsten Walker. She is the founder of Sober Brown Girls. And when we heard about all that she is doing to spread awareness about addiction in communities of color, we said we needed to talk to her tonight. So welcome, um, Kirsten, to Addiction Talks, powered by American Addiction Centers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, Kirsten, I know it can't be easy to always share your story. I know as we were talking you know, in the green room before you were coming forward, you said, it's always hard to do this again, but you know it has to be done. What makes it so challenging sometimes to keep sharing your story? I know you want to share it, but what makes it challenging sometimes to keep putting yourself out there? I guess there's always that fear of judgment. There's um, the, the feeling of guilt too, just kind of reliving a lot of things. But despite all of that, I think it's super important to continue the conversation, continue to let our voices be heard, continue to take the seats at the table and continue to share our stories because there's so much power um, in our stories. Mm -hmm. And I really wanna dig into your story tonight. So one of the first things I'd like to ask you is when you were dealing and realizing, because I think a lot of people are in denial when it comes to addiction. I think denial is a huge factor. Um, and people think, oh, I just drink here and there, or I don't have a problem. So tell me about your story. When did you first realize that something's not right here, that this is more than me just drinking um, alcohol, you know, during certain times, this is really something that's a problem for me? Probably around, I would say around four years ago is when things just kind of took a turn. You know, you deal with your stresses in life and you deal with ways to cope through that stress and some things you deal with you're not prepared for. So what did I do? I turned for comfort. I turned for just something to take my mind off the situation. And I turned to alcohol. I turned to wine specifically. Uh, I noticed it started being, becoming a really, a really big problem when just about every morning, you know, start waking up with a hangover. Every morning, it's hard to get out of bed and it's hard to begin functioning your day. And it just got to a certain point of time where I knew that I couldn't continue to live like this. And it became just a exhausting trying to moderate what was always on my mind. And alcohol was always on my mind. And it was just so hard trying to moderate it and trying to keep check of it and trying to structure rules around it that it took so much effort to do all of that. I knew that it could no longer be part of my life. Mm -hmm. So that's when I began to start the journey into um, sober living. Mm -hmm. And was there a rock bottom for you? I know you said you realized that you were thinking about it a lot, but mm -hmm. 
But was there a rock bottom moment? Was there something, an experience or something that happened that said that was kind of your wake up call? Because you said you've been dealing with this for a while and you were thinking about it. But was there that wake up call? Yes. So my wake up call came in the form of I needed to basically be a caretaker for my mother for a day. She was having some outpatient surgery. So the day before, I knew that I'd be off the next day and I would just have to take her to her procedure in the morning. So I proceeded to drink the night before because, hey, I didn't have to go to work tomorrow. I was off. So it's just like on this Wednesday night, I'm just drinking and drinking, going through almost a bottle and a half of wine. And the next morning, I have all this responsibility on my shoulders to get my mother to her procedure. She was counting on me. She needed me. And I barely can make it out the bed. So that particular morning, I knew that what if this had been an emergency? What if this had not been something that was planned? You know, what if I needed to spring out the bed and be there for my mother or for my children or my husband? And I wasn't able to do that fully functioning. And that clicked on me. There was a just a profound sense of guilt and a profound sense of things have to change in your life. And you're going to have to let go of the fear of not drinking and you're going to have to start living, finding other ways to cope in other ways um, to deal with your depression and anxiety other than alcohol, because this almost stopped you on your tracks from doing something that was very important, not just for you, but for somebody that you loved. So that was my wake up call. You know, something you said, Kirsten, really struck me about the fear of not drinking. Mm-hmm. That's deep. Explain that to me, because what was the fear of not having alcohol anymore in your life, what was that fear? How would I cope? How would I be able to, even though I couldn't function with alcohol, I couldn't imagine functioning without it. Like, how do I take a breather? How do I cope with my anxiety? It's easy to just go to the cabinet and just to reach for a bottle of wine, but now I have to do work. I have to change some things in my life and I have to figure out some new coping skills. And that was scary to me. I'm not a huge person with change, but I know when something needs to be changed and it just takes some effort and just some courage to get over that fear of the unknown and just to go ahead and experience that unknown. So that's the fear that I was dealing with. And I see people are chiming in saying this conversation is so necessary because we don't talk about addiction. And speaking of talking about addiction, even within minority communities or communities of color, did you, do you find that it's not talked about as much, particularly when it comes to alcohol, because it's so ingrained, I think, in a lot of things that we do? It's just for me growing up, it was just the norm. You know, when you were stressed out, that's all I saw was adults go to alcohol or go to some other a cigarette or something else, food or something to take their mind off of it for so that's all I knew was to go for alcohol. You you know, that's what I saw growing up. That's what I saw on the TV. It's what I see online. So that's all I knew um, is to go to the liquor store or to, to go to the store and to get your wine because you deserve that. You know, we talk about more of um, needing it and, and not so much of not needing it. And what else can we do to combat those negative feelings that we have. Mm -hmm. Which is really deep because people do use, especially in the midst of COVID, people do often turn to alcohol to cope and don't even realize 
that they're developing an unhealthy relationship. So what do you say to people as you're talking to other people about your own journey? How do they even begin to realize that maybe they have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol? Um, the one thing that I like to tell people is it just almost took me out. You know, it almost made me just, uh, just, just this living and breathing being that, that had no purpose, that had nothing going on. That's what it was turning me into. And it was becoming my best friend. Somebody so negative, so destructive was becoming my best friend. So, you know, I had to, especially during COVID, I, you know, I like to tell people I did and I didn't get sober at the right time because it's like to fathom that I'm going through this situation, especially 2020, the year that it was without drinking is just, I never would have imagined it. If you had told me a, a, a year and a half ago that I would be here, I would never have believed you because I didn't know of what else to do, of what else to do to cope. So it's just a matter of just being creative and just starting to come up with different ways, um, educating, educating yourself. I do a lot of education around alcohol. So it's not so much as I know that it makes me, you know, what it does to my, to my body as far as hangovers and things like that. But the education that I've learned about alcohol, it affects so much of my mental health. I didn't, I had no idea. So it's just about education. And that's what I just tell people, just educate, educate yourself. We're all adults. We all get to choose what we do. Um, I, in no means am I gonna tell everybody to not drink, but all I ask is that people just get educated about alcohol. And that's what got me to this point. And, you know, I think people don't realize that it can start gradually and build mm. up because I'm sure if you look back, you didn't start where you ended up. No. How did it when did you start realizing that it, it escalated? Because people think it starts out small where you're using it, yeah. but then it just keeps snowballing. Is that yeah. what you found? Kind of share a little bit. of Absolutely. That. Absolutely. It's it's so ironic because when my children were younger, I never hardly drank. I would maybe drink for a special occasion, but I don't really think we really kept alcohol in the house from what I can remember when my children were small. But like you said, it's gradual. You know, they get older, you get you go through more situations in life, you're dealing with more stress. You know, I dealt with postpartum depression that wasn't treated for a while. So I'm trying to self-medicate and I'm trying to treat myself, which is another thing, another stigma in our community as far as um, seeking help, you know, I, I just wanted to keep everything in house and to myself. So after a while, it just kind of snowballed. And then, you know, you started drinking a little bit on Friday nights or on the weekends. Then you say, well, let me mix in a little bit on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. And that's progressively, that's how it happened until about December of 2019 is when things just got really, you know, I really wrestled with myself that month because that's when I knew that there had to be some kind of breakup between alcohol and I, and I just didn't know how I was going to end this relationship, but I knew that it was a breakup that needed to happen. And you know, what's so powerful about that is I don't think people who haven't struggled with addiction realize the hold it has on you and how difficult it is. And I think this is a time we can also educate family members who are listening tonight about just the challenges for those of you who are battling it, how would you describe how challenging it is? Yeah, it's it's like, I, I like to I like to compare it to a breakup. You know, it's somebody that's toxic in your life that you know that you cannot continue this relationship with. 
And you know that you need to set up boundaries around this relationship. You need to end this relationship and set up boundaries with this, this person. And, you know, that's things that I'm not very um, comfortable with doing is setting boundaries. So I had to really set boundaries around this particular, you know, this wine that was taken over. It, it just, it's all you think about. It's all you toss and turn at night about. It's truly a struggle to go through that breakup. Wow, I like how you talked about that, being a breakup, knowing something is not good for you, but then wrestling with how do you part with it when a part of you is connected to it? When a part of you is actually has, you know, fallen madly in love, you know, with it, because you know, it's given, it's given you that little, that little dopamine rush. It's, you've programmed your body to love it. So it's hard to let that love go, you know, but you know, when it's causing you damage, when it's toxic in your life, just like with anything else, it has to go. Yeah. Like you said, you, you had that time where your mom's having surgery, you drank the day before you could barely get out of bed. And that was like your wake up call. And you said, even within our community, I want to touch on, you know, the black community and other communities of color. Why do you think it's so hard for people to admit they have a problem and to either get help or to do something about it? what is holding people back from that? Well, we don't talk about it enough. And because we don't talk about it enough, there's, there's no way to know where you can go to get help. You know, a lot of times I know with, with my family, I know with a lot of families of color, you know, we keep a lot of things in house and that's how we grew up. What happens in this house stays in this house. So you don't know who to trust, who you can just be basically be naked in front of and let them know all your problems, all your issues, you know, everything that's going on. So it's just finding out those avenues of who, where I can go, who I can trust, who can I give this information to, and I can trust this information with them and, and somebody that, that I can go to that'll help. If we don't hear about anybody else having issues or having problems with this, I, I've never heard of anybody else in my family that has said I have an uncomfortable a woman that has said, I have an uncomfortable relationship with alcohol. So for me, this was foreign, you know, this was new. So therefore it was scary, it was unknown. I didn't know what to do with these feelings. So that's what made me reach out. And that's what made me find the sober community on Instagram because I needed to find find others that understood me and that maybe could help me to get to, to somewhere that could help me to combat this issue that I have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so powerful, like you said, not knowing where to turn. We're not talking about it in our families. Everybody's brushing it under the rug. And I wanna go back to that because I think a lot of times people think it's a moral issue and it's really not. It's a medical issue. And a it lot is. of times if we can't get past that, then I can understand the shame that people must feel. Were you afraid that when you came out with your family and said, hey, I'm struggling, that you would experience some judgment? Yes, that I would experience judgment and then I would be looked at as being somebody that can't handle her business or mm -hmm. that is weak. And that is something that, you know, when I was little, I was a type of, of child that I can't even think of. I, I don't even I maybe got it swatted on the hand. But if you told me I disappointed you, now that just broke my heart that, you know, I just felt like there was no coming back from that. So that disappointment, that fear of disappointing others that carried over into my adult life. So, you know, for me to tell somebody, look, I'm struggling as a wife, I'm struggling as a mother, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, we don't really 
have those conversations. We just say, hey, girl, you had a rough week. I bought your bottle of wine, you know, and, and we, you know, we use the, those things to help medicate us, but, you know, just not knowing where to turn to. Mm-hmm. And that's you know. somebody's listening tonight. That's why we really wanted to do this conversation with you, because as addiction treatment provider, we want people to know that there is help available, you know, that there is a path to recovery, that there are resources, whether it's through American addiction centers or through other community resources, there, there is help available and there are people who are dealing with this. So when you found, once you admitted that you had this, what was your family's reaction? How did, how did that go? Was it what you anticipated? It was, it was what I should have anticipated. You know, I had this fear, you know, that my husband was going to want to watch over me like a fine tooth comb or treat me like, you know, somebody, you know, that I'm not. And that's what I was afraid of, that he would handle me with kid gloves. And that's not what I wanted. You know, I, I initially told my husband that I was taking a break from alcohol for a month. That was initially what I told him. And then after about two weeks, I knew that this was going to be longer than a month. So I was just upfront and I needed to be um, because I needed to let him in on this healing that was going on. I needed to let him in on this secret, you know, that I was keeping that I couldn't keep any longer. And that was that I cannot control my drinking. You know, it's, it's, I, it's not normal for me to throw up every weekend. It's not normal for me to not be able to get out the bed in the morning. These are not normal things. And these are not ways that I want to continue to live. And he was absolutely supportive mm. of, of me not drinking. Um, I don't know if to this day, I don't know if he felt like that I was taking things too far and he was waiting for me to kind of auto correct or what was going on. But um, when I said that I wasn't drinking anymore, he decided he was going to do the same thing. Wow. I mean, there's no sense in one of us in the house drinking in his mind, you know, he didn't want the temptation to be there. If I wasn't drinking as his partner, he decided not to drink either. Wow. Anymore. How supportive is that? I mean, that is, yeah. huge. you know, when you're talking about that, you had this fear of telling the person you love the most. I mean, your spouse, I mean, I know you love your kids too, so I don't want to say love, yeah. but to tell the person you love the most that this is what I'm having to do. This is not normal. I need to do something different. I can't drink anymore. I have to live a sober lifestyle. And to see him come alongside you and say, not only do I support you, but I'm going to walk this journey with you. That is yeah. And it was scary at first because I didn't want him just to quit just because of me. You know, I wanted him to find his own particular why. I just, I didn't want to keep him from doing something that he handles differently than I do. But that was his decision to to not drink. And even to this day, I'm still like, if you want to have a beer, you can have a beer. And he's just like, I, I don't drink. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm fine. So, you know, it that educated me as well and inspired me because that tells me that it's just not people that have an issue with alcohol that don't drink. I think that's kind of my fear that I had, um, that everybody was going to look at me like I have an issue because I don't, I don't drink. And I didn't want that to rub off on, on him, but people can actually not drink if they decide not to drink, you know, so that, that really inspired me and really helped me along on my own journey. 
And, you know, I think that brings about the question of community, you know, having that support system. And when you went out there looking for other women who looked like you, brown girls, um, who were telling their struggles or sharing their recovery stories, what did you find? I mean, it, it blew me away. It really made, you know, two things that are important to me, I, well, well, three, I'm, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, and I'm a black woman. So for me to find these other women or to have these other women find me and for us to have this sense of community and this sense of, I see you and I know you see me and we're okay, we're healing and we're going through this. You know, it solidified my notion that representation matters. This is what it means when you can see someone that looks like you, that maybe has had unique struggles like you've had that are overcoming this too, and that are overcoming it and doing it beautifully, then that gave me hope that I too could live this life. And when you went out there, you did, I, from what I understand about your story is there were a lot of women of color talking about this. Yeah. And you didn't see that representation. So I commend you for saying, hey, I'm not seeing enough representation of yeah. women of color who are saying, hey, I've struggled. Hey, I'm living a sober lifestyle. Hey, I'm in recovery. That you didn't yeah. see that. So you took it upon yourself to start Sober Brown Girls, which I love the name. You know, it, you. Just, it, it, it just rings true, Sober Brown Girls. So what has that been like since you started that? And what has been the response of the community of women who are now part of the Sober Brown Girl community? Yeah, it's just that. It's just this community of women. And it's been a driving force in my sobriety. I have connected with so many amazing women, women of all shapes, colors, sizes, backgrounds that are going through this, that are going through this journey. And it, it makes a world of difference. That sense of community, it still gives me goosebumps because it, it really helps you to not feel alone. And that's one thing that I struggled with in the beginning was I just felt so alone. It's, I could have, I hid this from so many people that I didn't want to go through. And I didn't want to talk about all of the ways that I hid it from you. I just wanted to just talk about my issues. I just wanted to say, hey, have you ever experienced this? And I have somebody else say, yes, I get it. I got you. I understand that. Um, it, make, it made the world of difference to me. I mean, I hold the Instagram, these women on Instagram dear to my heart because so many of them have just tagged along and I don't think they understand how they've influenced me and how they have helped me during my struggle. So I just thank all these amazing, beautiful women that continue to share their stories. It's been a, an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch on a couple of last things if we, as we wrap up this conversation. I think yeah. a lot of people may say, well, why can't you just be part of the general recovery community? Why must you have something that's for brown girls? And I know you don't discriminate. So if anybody wants to come yeah. to the group, they can. But somebody may say, mm -hmm. well, why do we need this for brown girls if we have a recovery community? Why does that really, really matter? And I want to touch on that because a lot of people may feel that tonight. Yeah, my page, you know, I've, I've definitely had a few critics that have come and said, well, why is it just, you know, they want to be, they want to be part of something and they don't want to be part of something and they want to be segregated on their own. You know, as black women, we have unique struggles. We have, you know, we're a unique minority. Not only are we, are we black, but we're women, you know, so that's, that can be, you know, two dings against us. Um, the average 
AA meeting you walk into, you may not see a lot of people of color. You may not, mm. you don't see a lot of people of color leading these groups. You don't see, um, I've heard of stories of women that have gone to, black women that have gone to treatment centers and you know, they're trying to get through, let me touch your hair, where's your drug of choice crack? They're trying to get through all of these different stereotypes and mm. they're there for alcohol. And they, you know, it's just like, some people just don't quite know how to handle us or don't quite know how to include us in there. We need to see, we need to, we need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves in sober mom groups. We need to see ourselves leading these sober groups. We need to see ourselves telling our stories and we need to see ourselves more in the mainstream media talking about sobriety and talking about addiction. And that's what helps normalize these topics. That's what helps remove these veils and helps open up the conversations that need to be had. The, the only way that we're gonna have these conversations is if we're invited to the table and we're able to share our stories. Mm -hmm. Sharing stories, so powerful. And when you said that, just going back to the AA meetings and not necessarily always seeing that representation and the stereotypes, we must address the stereotypes. What do you feel have been some of those stereotypes? You address that a little bit, like people thinking if you come in that it's automatically crack that you're dealing with. What are some right. of the types that you've seen? I've seen, you know, a lot of, there's this misconception that black women can't fall. There's this misconception that we are just so strong, we can handle everything, but we do fall and, and it's okay that we fall. We just have to see each other picking, you know, picking ourselves, you know, up and helping each other to pick ourselves up. There's a lot of, of stereotypes. Most most women that I, black women that I see on TV, it's very rare that you would see a black woman that is dealing with um, an addiction to alcohol. Uh, I was very surprised when, you know, uh, Viola Davis's character had to get away with murder. It was so, to me, that was groundbreaking to see a black successful professional woman that struggled struggled with alcohol mm -hmm. um, in this series. So that was just refreshing to see a woman to, that, that lived that lifestyle. Um, so that's not enough that we, that we see, you know, most of the interviews that we see on TV or the books that are written, they're written by usually it's white women. They dominate the addiction space. Um, and that's fine. The more the merrier is, uh, you know, I like to say super round girls is part of this huge umbrella of of help for women that are out there. So we're just one more element in that that you know under that huge umbrella. Uh, we definitely don't discriminate against white people or we just we just want to make sure that black women know that we're here and we recover too and this is a safe place for you and you're welcome here and it's okay that you're here. Wow, I think that's so important. It is okay that you are here and you're doing that through Sober Brown Girls and touching so many lives. I've seen some of the comments that have come in tonight and they've been so um, just gracious of what you're doing. And so as we wrap up this conversation, one of the things that I really wanna touch on, even we have Sharon here saying Sober Brown Girls, you know, we're so happy to have this platform out there supporting women of color, thank you. So I, we want to thank you on behalf of American Addiction Centers just for all you're doing, because we do need that representation. And then as we wrap up this, I want to touch into the mommy wine community, because wine was something that you talked mm -hmm. about. I know that that was a big thing for you. And there has been this push, particularly during COVID, and we've been seeing this ourselves, 
where people are normalizing excessive drinking and medicating with wine. How I, I, I can only imagine how infuriating <laughs> that it is. Really, what do you feel when you're seeing? you know, this push right now, particularly in COVID, like just have wine, just do this. And not to say that, let me say this. I don't want to say that wine is a bad thing because, you know, it can be used and people use it to enjoy life. But when we're pushing excessive people doing it excessively, there's a problem. So I'm curious, how does that make you feel? And what have you felt just in relation to that? You know, I just, I feel like society looks at mothers and society says, Whatever you need to do to keep going, just keep going. If we need to shove this wine down your throat to keep you going, we'll do that. Mothers need help. Mothers need a lot of help right now. I have two teenage children. We are going through this situation like everybody else. It is hard right now. Mothers need a lot of support, but they don't need you pushing wine down their throats. You know, we've had so many different situations that have come up. And it's just, I think the more sober that I that I get, the more clear you see how the alcohol industry targets women. The numbers don't lie. The numbers have gone up dramatically for binge drinking among women. And that's because we are stressed and we are going through a lot. And there is, we definitely need our breaks. We need to find ways to cope with what's going on, but chugging alcohol down our throats isn't going to be the way that it's going to get done. So we have to have these conversations about what are some other ways that we can cope? How can we be there to help other mothers? If you can call a mother, call her and check on her and just say, how are you doing? I know the kids are fine. How are you? How are you coping? If we can send care packages to moms, if we can check up on them and we can drop something off at their door. Those are the things that we can do as a community to help our mothers and I just want to educate moms as much as we can that wine isn't isn't it's just it's just not the answer. Alcohol just it's not the answer. It's it's you know, I like to think when I was drinking, I did the best that I could do. She did the best that she could do. That's how I think about the old me. I did the best I could do with the skill set that I had. But now that I've gotten these other ways to cope with my anxiety and my depression, I want to make sure other women knows that hey, this is out, this is out there too. So that's my way to share with other mothers that we can break free from the whole sober mommy wine, uh, you know, syndrome that's going on right now. You know, we don't have to be a part of that and don't fall victim, fall victim to it. They want you, they're going to judge you as a mother if you drink or if you don't drink. So you might as well not drink and have all your mental faculties and be able to deal with these pressures in life as they come along. It's hard though. Yeah. So right now I believe you're celebrating about a year of sobriety? Yeah. Yeah. It feels, a lot of people told me that it would be like, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic, but I had an amazing day. It was just like, it was better than a birthday. It was just amazing to know um, that I can live without alcohol and I'm just fine without it. And I'm even better without it. Um, I'm just happy that I was the mother and the wife that my family needed me to be in 2020 um, because it was such a tough year and I knew that it needed me to be the best that I could be and I couldn't be at that best with who I was and what I used to do. So it's just been, it's just been amazing to hear, mom, I really like who you're becoming and I dig how calm you've been and I dig just how you've gotten us through this year. So when I when I hear things like that, then that's celebration enough for me. 
Well, we congratulate you on behalf of American Addiction Centers for all you're doing. And if there was one last piece of advice that you could leave for a woman tonight who's hearing your story, who may be struggling, what would you say to that woman? If you could reach out to her, wish somebody had even said this to you, what would you say? You're doing the best you can do. And I commend you. You're doing the absolute best you can do. But we all want you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. If there's another way, let's check it out. Let's look at it. If you need me to help you find some resources, I can do that. Um, but you're doing the best that you can do. And I commend you for just trying to get through the year that we've gotten through. And it looks like 2021 is just kind of 2020 with some bangs, but it's okay. It's all right. I'm proud of you and you're doing the best that you can do. I love that. And I think that's a message that will resonate tonight. And like Kirsten said, she has Sober Brown Girls. You can follow her on Facebook or Instagram and get connected to her community. You can also turn to American Addiction Centers as we offer services to help people get on the path of recovery. And Kirsten, we just thank you so, so much for sharing you. your messages tonight and being vulnerable and being willing to, to stand in the gap for other women yeah. of color who need to hear your story. We thank, yeah, you. thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it, everyone, for another episode of Addiction Talk. Thank you for joining us. Good night.